Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. And would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy's in the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible the easiest way to find 1 Timothy is to find 2 Timothy and turn left, right? So you'll find it, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So I started a sermon series at the beginning of the year entitled Grow, Becoming the Person God Meant for You to Be. I'm going to close it out today. I've preached on it since uh, the first sermon in January, and we're looking at what we would call spiritual disciplines. Those are the things in the Christian life that we do on a daily basis over and over again that help us to grow up in the Christian life. And I say daily, but on a regular basis. We are disciplining our lives so that we can become godly, more like Jesus. Here's what we know. We're never going to grow by accident, but God saves us so we can grow and grow into the person he meant for us to be. And here's the truth. God's vision for our lives is greater than our vision for our lives. And we don't understand that oftentimes. But it's not going to happen by accident. We're going to have to grow into that. And these spiritual disciplines are what helps us grow. So we call those spiritual disciplines. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls them disciplines. But um, I'm going to show you that this morning. But it's what we call them as Christians. And they're the disciplines of the Christian life. These are not all of them. This will be my eighth sermon on this sermon series. So it'll be six disciplines I preached on, but these aren't all of them. These are just the basic ones. When you look at prayer and reading your Bible and serving God and giving our tithes and offerings and coming to church and, and being a witness, those are the disciplines. So what I want to do is wrap up the sermon series today. And with I started it with kind of an umbrella sermon, and I want to end it today a little bit with an umbrella sermon. So just turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. In a moment, we'll stand and read our Bibles. I want to preach this subject today, toughen up. We've looked at read up, grow up, pray up, serve up, speak up, give up, let's toughen up. How many of you, at least, I know if you're my age, at least, uh, you've heard of him. How many of you ever heard of Pistol Pete Maravich? You ever heard of Pistol Pete Maravich? Man, Pistol Pete, if you don't know, if you're, if you're so young over here, like you don't really know Michael Jordan, you only know LeBron, Pistol Pete was kind of the... Uh, LeBron before there was a LeBron. Like there was, Pistol Pete was the innovator of basketball the way we view it today. As a matter of fact, before Pistol Pete, if you dribbled between your legs, that was considered being a show off and, and like coaches would stop you from doing that stuff. And all of a sudden there came this young guy on the scene uh, with the nickname Pistol Pete Maravich and he was dribbling between his legs. He was doing behind the back passes. He was one of the most, matter of fact, at one point he was the, he may still be, he scored more points in college than any other college player in history. And then he got drafted and became a prolific NBA Player. As a matter of fact, he was finally inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And here's what they said about him. He was perhaps the greatest offensive talent in the history of basketball. Pete Maravich became a Christian when he was in his mid-30s. But in 1988, he died of a heart attack when he was just 40 years old. Before he died, Pistol Pete, after he'd become a Christian, he made this statement. I want to show it to you. He said, the key to my ability was repetition. 
I practiced and practiced and practiced again. I gave the sport my total commitment. I tried everything I could in every way I could to perfect my skills. It was like an obsession. It paid off for me as a player. I'm not so sure in life. And here's what he said. If I'd given that same devotion then to my faith, which is what I do now, I'd have been a better person in the long run. Pistol Pete telling us that if he had to do it over again, he would give that same devotion, that same discipline, not just to basketball, but also to his faith. And if we're ever going to become the uh, Christian that God wants us to be, we need to heed Pistol Pete, we need to heed what the Bible would say and give a devotion to our faith that helps us become the best discipline we can be. And we've looked at those, I won't go through them again, but we've looked at all those and how they help us become a better Christian. They help us become a better person. They help us to tap into the blessings of life. But here's what I want you to know. There's not a switch that you can just flip and all of a sudden makes us good at these things. No, we're going to have to toughen up and we're even going to have to work at it. And that's exactly what Paul was telling Timothy. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 4, it is the verse that we get this idea of spiritual disciplines from. So let's stand together as we read God's word and look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse number 7. And today, just, I always preach out of a new King James, but today I'm preaching out of a new living translation because there's some words here that I like the way they um, translate those, but you can follow along with what you're using. Here's what it says in verse number 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Paul uses a turn in verse number seven that sets the tone for really this idea of spiritual disciplines. As a matter of fact, it's a verse that we looked at in the very first sermon I preached, but we find it here again, and it's that word train. In the Greek, it is the word gymnasio. It's where we get our word gymnasium from. And in the Greek, it meant a continual practice, the way they trained themselves. It was a word that referred to Olympic athletes, that the way in the Greek era, when they trained for the Olympics, that Olympics would train repeatedly over and over and over again. And that process for training became the gymnasio. And eventually they, they took it to a certain spot and that became the gymnasium. And so that's where we get our word. But it's the idea of you go into a gym and you train over and over and over and over and over again. That's where they got the idea because here's what we all know. Nobody wakes up trained or in shape. If you go to bed fat and out of shape like me, you wake up the same way. You never go to bed at night out of shape, weak, and wake up the next morning and be like, look at that. Grew those overnight. Look just like the preacher now. I got these muscles like, no, it didn't happen. That didn't happen. You don't wake up in shape. I wish we did, but it requires effort, work, toughness, and willingness. If we as Christians want to be 
the Christian God meant for us to be, if we want to pursue godliness and holiness and the spiritual life, there has to be a discipline to that. But it's going to require toughness on your part, toughness on my part, because it it doesn't happen automatically. So Paul was trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, And Timothy was a young pastor, and he was trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, you've got to pursue the godly life, but you're going to have to be tough if you're going to pursue the godly life. So let me tell you some things Paul told Timothy that we need to hear today as well. Number one is this. The spiritual life is full of distractions. The spiritual life is full of distractions. Now look at what he says in verse number seven. Love this verse. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. And now, Paul was trying to tell Timothy that you've got to be careful because if you're not careful, what's going to happen is you're going to let distractions get in the way of the real pursuits of the Christian life. And here's what Paul told Timothy, who was going to be a pastor, a young pastor. He was saying, if you're not careful, these godless ideas, these myths, we would call them rabbit trails in the ministry. They're things that you're chasing that you have no business chasing. My job as a pastor is not to uh, uh, refute every bit of garbage that you hear out there. No, no, that's not my job. And Paul said, Timothy, if you're not careful, you'll get going down trails. You don't even need to be down just godless myths and ideas and all that. He said, you'll chase old wives' tales. It was a saying. Uh, let me get this imagery in your mind. It is, it is superstitions that have no truth. The imagery in the Greek is of an old elderly grandmother who's whispering in her granddaughter's ear superstitions that simply are not true. And Paul told Timothy, hey, if you're not careful in the ministry, instead of majoring on the word of God, what's going to happen is, is you're going to get your life, your godliness, your holiness, your ministry sidetracked by things that really don't matter. In other words, you're going to get distracted from the pursuit of godliness. And can I tell you this? There are always going to be things that try to jump into your life to distract you from the real purpose of your life. The enemy, listen, the enemy knows that he's not going to get most of us in this room to commit some kind of egregious sin. I mean, for most of us in this room, a couple of you I may be worried about, but by and large, you're not going to wind up on the front page of the paper tomorrow for some horrible thing you've done. The enemy's not going to get most of us drunk uh, tonight. The enemy's not going to get most of us to commit murder. The enemy's not going to get most people in this room to commit some kind of horrible, horrible crime. But here's what he can do. He can distract you with things that really don't matter in the long run. Because in the long run, what is the difference between sin and distraction? Both keep you from pursuing the kingdom of God. And both keep you from the pursuit of of godliness. And so here's what Paul told Timothy, and we need to hear it as well. Stay away from distractions. No one ever did anything great while they were distracted. As a matter of fact, all that you can find in the world says it is an intense laser focus despite the distractions that make a difference. Matter of fact, there's a study came out not long ago. I'll, I'll let you watch this video. There's no sound to it. There's nothing to see other than this is the one of the studies they did. It was a phenomenon. A researcher by the name of Dr. Joan Vickers discovered that she calls it the quiet eye. 
I'm going to pick up my iPad so I can tell you a little bit of what she says. Here's what she discovered, that the secret of extraordinary performance in the sports world lay in the way people control their eyes. Get this, especially when she started looking at professional golfers. Here's what she noticed. The better the player, the longer and steadier their gaze on the ball just before and then during their strike. Novices, by contrast, tended to shift their focus between different areas of the scene for shorter periods of time. So here they've hooked up a professional golfer and they're monitoring his eye and they notice he moves his eye less. She went on to study this phenomenon in all sports, basketball, baseball, ice hockey, volleyball, even in others, in tennis. And here's what she noticed, and I quote, in each case, the steadier final fixation just before the critical moment makes out the expert athlete, get this, who held their gaze for 62% longer than the amateur athlete. She wondered, can this focus be taught? And so she got with a college basketball team and she got two teams. She got a controlled group who just worked on their free throw percentage. And she got another group who she worked with on having the quiet eye and where to look when you shoot a free throw and all that. And so the control group who just tried to work on their free throw increased their free throw percentage after two years by 8%. However, the group she worked with increased their free throw percentage, get this, by 22%, and their free throw percentage exceeded the NBA's free throw percentage when she was done with them. And here's what she said. The more focused your consecration, the bet concentration, the better you become. The more laser sharp you are on a task, the more likely you are to accomplish it. Can I tell you this, that the same is true for the Christian life? That the devil gets us all over the place in our lives. He gets us focused on things that don't matter. He gets a focus on how we're treated. He gets us into an emotional mess. He gets our attention on everything but our walk with God. And here we are focused on things that have no eternal value whatsoever. You say, preacher, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed a store. I haven't done any harm. No, but you're distracted and it's hurting your pursuit of godliness and your kingdom. Hear me well. When you find yourself distracted from your walk with God, it's time to step back, toughen up, and focus. Let me ask you this morning. How distracted are you in the Christian life? What kind of... Do you have a quiet eye when it comes to the things of God? The spiritual disciplines require that we be focused, focused on our walk with God. Hey, look this way. Can I tell you this? And I'm just, we're just talking now. We're just, just us girls. We're just talking. Can I tell you, hey, you're always going to be too busy to pray. Did you know it? You're never going to wake up one morning like, hey, I got a day to kill. I think I'll pray today. It's never going to happen that way. You're always going to be too busy to pray. That's why you have to uh, let to pray through to the distractions in your life. You're always going to be too stressed out to read your Bible. I mean, you're, you're going to see your Bible sitting in your car, laying on your dresser, in your office, wherever it may be, on your iPad. You're going to see your Bible, and you're always going to be like, hey, I want to read that Bible. But I got way too much going on now. It never lets up. You have to read your Bible despite the distractions. Can I, can I tell you this? 
I'm just walking through these disciplines a little bit. Can I tell you this? You're always going to need your, your tithe money somewhere else. Did you know that? You're always going to need it somewhere else. It'll always buy you a nicer car, bigger house, or better clothes. Did you know that? Always will. And there are always going to be distractions coming in your life that say, hey, don't give, don't give that church your tithe money. And by the way, you don't give it to the church. You give it to God through the church is the biblical principle. It's not, it's his. You're never not, you're not going to be like, hey, I'm going to give God 50% today. I don't need it. It's just money. It's never going to happen. Can I tell you, you're always going to need to be somewhere else on Sunday. You're always going to need to rest on Sunday. You're always going to need to do chores on Sunday. You're always going to need to, listen, that's always the case. Those aren't sins. Those are distractions in the Christian life. And that's why those, those things are called disciplines that lead to godliness. You have got to toughen up your Christian life and decide I'm going to do it despite of distractions because the spiritual life is full of distractions. Here's the second thing Paul told Timothy, and that's this. It pays now and then. Spiritual disciplines Pay now and then. Look what he said in verse number eight. Physical training is good. That means exercise is good. Not great. Good. But training for godliness is much, say it with me, better. And I love this phrase. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Paul tells Timothy that, that exercise is good. Not great, it's good. But exercise only has one benefit. Do you know what that benefit is? It's in this life. Everybody's fit in heaven. We all look good in heaven, right? We better. Now, I'm not against exercise, but can I tell you this? Everybody that's fit and in shape and eats healthy, can I tell you something? Don't mean to be depressing. You're going to die too. <laughs> All of us physically fit people, we're going to die too. I was running over my sermon yesterday afternoon. I got discouraged and, and, and I'm like, well, I, I, I can exercise. I just bought a home gym. I mean, I can exercise, but, but I'm going to die, so... I went and got the bag of Doritos some of y'all gave me out of the cabinet, and I ate a half a bag of Doritos yesterday. Because exercise is good, but it's not great. It only has benefits now. But Paul said this, spiritual disciplines are different. I, boy, this is so good. He said, here's the thing about spiritual disciplines. It pays now and then, now, in this life. Now, I've already preached these sermons. I'm not going to re-preach them again, but here's what Paul is saying. When you pray and read your Bible and go to church and tithe and witness, and that has benefits now, and I've already preached those. There are an enormous amount of benefits for the Christian life now. Get this. You cannot go wrong walking with God in this life. Say amen right there. You cannot go wrong walking with God in this life. When you walk with God in this life, can I tell you, it has benefits now. Listen, if I had to do it all over again, I'd still get saved. Because it's the best life now. But it pays not just now, but then. Paul said spiritual disciplines pay off in the life to come. That when you toughen up and you, you, you do those spiritual disciplines, 
it helps now, but wait, it lays up treasures for then. Physical training's fine. It'll help you now. But spiritual training is best because it has the long view in mind. And too many Christians are not nearsighted. They are now-sighted. And all we can do is get our minds on the here and now. And can I tell you something? When you are only focused on the now, you make then mistakes. When you are only focused on here, you make eternal mistakes. And so Paul came along and said, hey, for the child of God, here's what you got to understand. There are some things that definitely benefit you in this life, but then there is the thing that benefits you in this life and in the next life. We call those spiritual disciplines. So if you only have a choice to do one, work on your spiritual disciplines because it pays now. Then, and too many Christians were so stuck on now. We're so now-sighted. We never think about then. I worked when I was a teenager. Worked, you've heard me say this. If you're a guest, you don't know this. But I've worked, I worked for much of my high school years at a place I call the Love Shack. Or as common folk called it, ShopRite back in the day at the uh, grocery store. And you say, well, why do you call it the Love Shack? Because I met the love of my life bagging her mom's groceries on a Friday night at the Love Shack. And so uh, our first courtship was on the aisles of ShopRite Grocery Store in Chatsworth, Georgia. And so I just called it the Love Shack because that's where I met her. That's where we fell in love. And I kind of got my hooks in her there and didn't let her go. And so that happened back in 1985. We, we actually, uh, about a year or so ago, we started developing our own couples hashtag. And it's Love Shack 1985. And we post something on social media, we'll do Love Shack 1985. But when I worked at ShopRite, uh, before I met Sherry, I made three, at the height of my pay, I made $3 an hour. And I worked 20 to 30 hours a week, and I was rolling in the dough. I mean, you do the math. 1985, I was making $90 a week, oftentimes minus taxes. I was rolling in the dough. Not many taxes came out of that. You got to keep in mind, here's what I had to do with that money a week. I had to make my car payment, pay my insurance, and put gas and have spending money. And I had, I had, plenty, I had plenty of money. Uh, you say, well, how'd you make car payment? Well, my car payment was $69 a month. I drove a 1981 Dodge Omni five-speed that the window didn't roll down on the passenger side and the door didn't open on the driver's side. It could get complex trying to get into the car. <laughs> it was a hatchback, man. It was cool. It was the thing to be. It was, it was a 81 Dodge Omni and a Corvette just right there above it. It was real close. It was real close. So I had that 81 Dodge Omni and uh, had plenty of money. I met Sherry. And she was immediately, two weeks after I met her, I told her I was going to marry her one day. And so uh, I eventually did. But I'd go to the bank on Fridays, I'd cash my check, and I'd put a roll of money in my pocket. It was a roll of $1 bills, but it still is a roll of money when you're 17 years old. And, and I'd have a roll of money in my pocket. And that, that roll of money used to last me all week long. I thought I was a stuff until I met her. And then all of a sudden, we'd go out on Friday or Saturday night, or even I'd go to church with her on Sunday. I got religion so I could date her is what happened. And so i go to church with her on Sunday, and all of a sudden, I was taking that roll of money, and I was just rolling out those ones like I was loaded. But about every Monday, I'd have to go to my parents, and I'd say, hey, I need $10 for gas. They're like, what happened to your paycheck? I was robbed. <laughs> that was always a better answer than I spent it on Sherry. Uh, 
Here's the deal. If Sherry had wanted to go out on a date on a Tuesday night, we couldn't have. I'd have been like, baby, let's go classic, and why don't you make a picnic, and we'll just go out in, the, in a field somewhere. We can't drive far because I don't have much gas, but let's just go out in a field somewhere, have a picnic. We'll go, we'll go classic date, you know, or whatever. Because I didn't have a dollar to my name because when I fell in love with her, I became very now-sided. And that now mentality cost me a potential date on a Tuesday night. And Paul came along and he told Timothy, he said, the problem with so many Christians is they are so now sighted. But here's what you have to understand about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual di- disciplines pay off now and then. And I'll tell you, if you're a child of God, you've got to think now and then. It's not either or, it's both and. It's now and then. Do spiritual disciplines help now? Yes, then do them. Do spiritual disciplines help in eternity? Yes, then do them. Listen, our enemy will get you thinking only of now. He'll get you focused on now. And God, throughout his word, tells us over and over again, hey, this life is just one small part. There is eternity coming. Here's what Paul said in in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your affection, your mind, your heart, your intentions, notice that, on things above. Not on things on the earth. Paul was telling them, you get now. Cited. Number three, here's what he told us. Number three, he told us the struggle is real. Now look at this verse in verse number 10. Now, by the way, this verse is not for the faint or weak of heart. For those of you that thought Christianity and walking with God was easy, Paul wants to burst your bubble in verse 10. And he says this, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. Work hard and continue to struggle. That first verb in the Greek, work hard, is a verb that means work yourself to the point of exhaustion. It means work yourself with much toil and energy and effort to the point of you're tired. And then the word uh, continue to struggle. In the Greek, I can't say it correctly, but in the Greek it's the word agnizio. It's where we get our word agonize from. And in the Greek, it is the picture of the athlete who is pouring his last ounce of energy. He is agonizing at the end, giving it all he's got. In all probability, Paul's imagery, because he talked about racing and wrestling a lot, in his imagery, it is racing. Maybe it's a sprint, and you see the sprinter as he gets close to the tape. He is, he is lunging with every bit of the energy, or maybe it's a marathon, and they've already ran 26 miles, and, and they're there in the last you know uh, fraction of a race, and there they're trying to pick up their speed and give it everything they've got. And you see often athletes at that point, they use the term leaving it all on the field. Why? Because they poured every ounce of energy they had and they have nothing else to give. And the verb tense in both words in the Greek is in the present tense, which means it means a continual outpouring of energy. And the race of godliness demands every ounce of energy we possess. So you're going to have to toughen up in the Christian life because the struggle is real. Can I tell you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. There are going to be obstacles. It's going to require maximum effort and energy and you putting resources into the Christian life. The Christian life is never going to get handed to you on an easy platter. 
The Christian life is not Taco Bell delivery. Open the app and have you seen that commercial? This is my new favorite commercial. I dream of reaching my highest peak. I dream of expressing my innermost passion. I dream of robots that improve quality of life for humans. Um, I dream of getting my Taco Bell delivered, <laughs> like, to my house. My dreams are unstoppable. Unstoppable. My dreams are my fire. My dreams are my fire. My dreams are much more simple and taco related. Am I in the right commercial? You gotta get out there! No one's gonna hand it to you. That's what I'm saying. I'd rather stay in and have Taco Bell literally handed to me. <laughs> Bring on the naysayers. Bring on the obstacles. Tacos, the crunch wraps, the chalupa. I don't know the meaning of failure. I don't know how to quit. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh oh, we're doing it, guys. Achieving our dreams. Hey. Thank you. No problem. Introducing Taco Bell delivery. Delivered by Grubhub. It's your taco dreams delivered. You're a real inspiration, man. This guy gets it. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite commercial. I saw it this week and I made sure you run in there and I watch it because I love it when he says, am I in the right commercial? <laughs> and the, the fact is, we're more like the Taco Bell guy when it comes to the Christian life. Right, we want it delivered on a Sunday morning. We want it in a couple of minutes a day or even a couple of minutes a week. We, we want the Christian life with no inconvenience whatsoever. We want the Christian life without any struggle. As a matter of fact, if the doctor can prescribe a pill, we'd rather take the pill. Paul told Timothy, you won't grow that way. Because the enemy's not going to let you grow that way. The enemy is not going to make it easy. You say walking with God is hard. Yes, spiritual disciplines are hard. You're going to have to toughen up. Someone said our toughness or our character is defined by what it takes to make us quit. And if that's the case, so many Christians need to toughen up. Because it doesn't take much to make us quit reading our Bibles or to quit praying or to quit giving or to quit coming or to quit pursuing holiness. Close your Bibles and look right up this way. I told you when we started this sermon series, when the staff wrote those 21-day devotions, we, we, we used some concepts in a book called Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. And I would always encourage you to pick that book up. It's, it's decades old, but it's such a strong book. It's not an easy read, but it's such a strong book in the Christian life over on spiritual disciplines. There's a lot you can pick up on them, but Donald Whitney said this in his book, and I want to end with this quote. He said, although God will grant Christ-likeness to us when Jesus returns, until then, he intends for us to grow toward it. We aren't merely to wait for holiness. We are to pursue it. We're to pursue it. We're to toughen up and go after it. So would you stand with me across the room? I want to ask you a question this morning. How are you doing pursuing Christ? How are you doing pursuing holiness, godliness, a walk with God? Can I tell you some things this morning you need to know? Life is full of distractions. You're going to have to toughen up and get over it. You say, well, I'm busy. So, so are we all. So, so are we all. I've got a lot going on. So does everybody. 
Well, I don't have much free time. Come on in, the water's fine. None of us do either. Uh, well, when my kids get grown, nope, nope, not gonna happen. You're gonna be busy when they're in high school as, as busy as you were or busier when they were young. Well, when I become an empty nester, nope, I already see it happening. I got a grandkid on the way. It's not happening. I'm not slowing down at all. Right? There's always something to distract us from pursuing godliness. Here's what tough Christians do. They pursue godliness in spite of the distractions. That takes a now and then mentality. Quit being so now-sided and think then. And you're going to have to work hard and pour energy and effort and resources into it. There's no easy button. There's no Taco Bell delivery on the Christian life. It's just struggling hard work. Training yourself to be godly. So I wonder as Christians, how many of us are struggling to be Christ-like? Like if that's the word I'm using, if you, are you struggling to be like Jesus? I, I don't mean that you're, you're, you're falling to sin all the time, that struggle. I mean you're struggling to get distractions out of the way. You're struggling to keep a now and then mentality. You're struggling in putting work, effort, and energy into the Christian life. That's the way it's intended to go. Yes, there'll come a day when Jesus comes again, we all go to heaven, we'll all be just like him. But until that day, our job is to toughen up and struggle to be like Jesus the best we can. We call that process spiritual disciplines. So would you do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.